You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of battery from rangefinders to trail cameras to your truck, car batteries, anything, any type of battery that you can think of, visit your local Interstate Batteries retail location and talk with a battery specialist. For more information about the company and all of the batteries that these guys offer, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Let's see, mic check, mic check. Here we go. Looks good. Level's good. I'm feeling good. I wish you guys could see me right now because I am I am literally lounging right now. Corona c- coronavirus has got, you know, a lot of uh people in the uh in the world on lockdown, you know, in their in their homes and doing uh having to live this new life right and so i am i wish you could see me right now i'm in one of my favorite pairs of sweatpants i'm in an old pair of slippers i am in my favorite hooded sweatshirt i'm sitting on a very comfortable couch in my office i'm staring at all the sheds that i've found throughout the years i'm looking at pictures of all the deer that i've killed throughout the years i'm looking at uh, pictures that my kids have you know uh, drawn me on this whiteboard that i have and i'm pretty comfortable right now i'm feeling good i'm feeling good but uh this is the nine finger chronicles podcast and i'm running solo today this is a q a podcast um but this is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. It's brought to you by Vortex Optics. And this is a, a in Mar- on March 3rd, I went to social media and I said, all right, you guys got any questions for me? Ask away. And a lot of you guys are crazy assholes asking me just the most ridiculous questions. And I love that about you. Um, you know, like, how did you lose your finger? Uh, you know, I, I've told that story before, you know, if Mark Kenyon wrote an erotic novel, would you buy it? And the answer is yes. And more than likely I would be in it if he wrote an erotic novel. Um, you know, just random questions like that. And I picked seven here. I have seven that we're going to talk that uh, I thought were worth my time. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just going back. I love each and every one of you and uh, the followers. I feel like you guys are a lot like me. Just, uh, 
you know, normal guy with a twisted mind <laughs> at times. That's a joke. Anyway, uh, I'm in my office by myself. I'm relaxing. I got my coffee. I got my questions for this Q&A podcast. And that's what uh, I got seven, seven questions here that we're going to go over today. If you hear a little rumbling like this, it's because I'm actually holding the microphone on this episode because I wanted to do it on the couch. I don't have to be near my computer because I'm the only one talking. So uh, we got to do a commercial right off the bat. And today's commercial is Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. Now, you guys know that I'm a mobile hunter. You guys know that uh, I do a lot of running gunning, which is the same thing. But uh, huge fan of Lone Wolf. I think I can remember it was 2006. And this is no joke. 2006, with the money that I received from getting my finger cut off, I went to a, a Shield store here in Iowa and I bought a new Bowtech tribute. I think it was a Bowtech tribute. I bought some Easton arrows. I bought and this is this is also no joke i bought wasp broadheads i bought a uh a true fire wrist release and i can remember all these things i'm trying to think uh wasp jackhammer broadheads a bow and then i also spent money on uh, a lone wolf tree hang on tree stand and four sticks at the time and then i then after that purchase i went and bought a like five $65 tree stands from a store called farm King. And, uh, anyway, uh, loan, like I, I remember buying those, those ladder stands, putting them up and then never using them to the point where I told my stepdad where they were and that he could take them down and he could just have them. And as you know, life or, you know, as the years went on, I just continued to collect these lone wolf, uh, these lone wolf tree stands. And I'm telling you, man, uh, they're definitely a game changer when, uh, when you want to, as far as gear is concerned, if you want to take that next step into being mobile, lone wolf is definitely uh, a product that I would strongly suggest getting. And uh, if you go to uh, their website, you can use the discount code nine F C five zero. And I think NFC five zero also works uh and you're going to be getting fifty dollars off all purchases over two two hundred bucks basically at $199.99 so if you buy a 225 dollar tree stand or a 250 dollar tree stand you're going to get 50 bucks off right if you, if you buy a set of four sticks which i believe is 200 bucks you're going to get 50 dollars off so it's a really good discount and it's going to change the game when it comes to hunting and uh i I use them every year. I'm going to use them when I go to Michigan and hunt this year, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But let's see. I got. I have to share this story, right? Here we are. We're sitting in Corona quarantine, and life is just it's it's different right now, right? And so um, I, I'm in my my sweatpants. I'm lounging. Uh, it's raining for the second day in a row here in Iowa, and my daughter still wearing her pajamas and i say hey what do you want to go get some clothes on she's like no i want to uh stay in your i want to stay in my pajamas because it's raining outside i said you know no problem you can lounge today i don't have a problem with that she she says she walks up to me and she goes daddy can i have a hug and i'm like absolutely sweetheart you can have a hug i'll give you a hug anytime you want a hug comes over 
give her a hug and I'm looking down at her and I see her toenails. <laughs> oh my God. I feel like a horrible parent after looking at her feet. She had these eagle claw Wolverine type toenails that were, you know, like the type that just kind of curl over the tip of the toe and they're almost turning the yellowish color and i felt like an absolutely horrible parent at this point i'm just like i've neglected my child i haven't been watching her i uh, i said to my wife i go jesus look at these things you know if she trips and falls she could like really severely hurt herself or people in the general area because you know they could slice an artery and really hurt somebody and so i i said we i uh, we're stopping all things right now, and we're going to clip those toenails. So I don't know what this has to do with. I just thought it was, uh, you know, I was in dad life mode where I was, you know, taking an opportunity to fix a problem real quick that looked like it needed some attention. So I took about 15 minutes and I did a really good job of clipping her toenails and taught her how to do it. And, uh, now she knows how to clip her own toenails and hopefully, uh, the next time, you know, like a month or two from now, I don't see the Eagle claws back out again. And, uh, yeah. So now if you're in quarantine now would be a perfect time to go check your kids fingernails and their toenails because you know the fingernails are easy to see but the toenails man i'm telling you they go unnoticed until they sneak up on you and uh you know save some scratches i guess i don't know where i'm going with this all right so march 3rd i put out an email or not an email but uh, a post on instagram and facebook and i said i'm going to be doing a q a uh, podcast here pretty soon why don't you guys ask me some questions and uh you know i've already talked a little bit about the most ridiculous questions that you guys have asked me and um yes i uh Maybe I'll answer those in a different podcast that uh, will air for like one hour. I don't know. Anyway, I picked uh, a handful of these questions out and I'm going to answer them right now. So the first question is actually a conglomerate, like five different people asked me a variety of the same question and I kind of mushed them all together and I'm going to talk about it all in one you know, in one setup or in one, one answer here. So thoughts on 200 grain broadheads. What are your thoughts on heavier arrow setups? What are your thoughts on uh, total arrow weight over 500 grains? Uh, what are your thoughts on fixed versus mechanicals? And there's a lot of, there's a lot of information right here. So, so I've been online a lot and, and it seems like Lately, there's been a lot of uh, talk on heavier arrow arrow weights, and do I feel? And I'm just going to start off with the 500 grain issue. Like for me, I like shooting. Uh, like I just I I just hear horror stories, right? Of people talking about, oh man, I didn't get the penetration that I wanted. And in 2010, I shot a 210 inch buck that I didn't get the penetration that I wanted. I, and I was shooting probably a plane. I don't even, I don't even want to guess what the arrow weight was, but I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure it was pretty light. I had no problem anything before that, 
because I was hitting, you know, the soft spots, right? The lungs, the ribs, the, the liver and killing deer that way. No problems. But then I ran into the issue where I didn't get the penetration that I wanted. And part of that was maybe a, a mechanical issue, you know, a loss of energy. But then also, I don't think there was the necessary weight behind the the broadhead that I needed to get the penetration that I could have used to kill that to kill that animal. So since that time, I've really been focusing on uh, create like heavier setups because I'm starting to do Western hunts, right? And I don't necessarily want two arrows for whitetail and then for elk or for mule deer or for whatever I decide. I want one arrow to shoot, and you know if I want to go heavy. I can go heavy. Now you don't necessarily need to go over 500 grains and I'm not an expert and I I don't want to say what the minimum grains, total arrow weight grains you need for a setup. But my, my broadhead is currently a 100 grain head. I'll probably move up to a 125 this year. More than likely it's going to be a fixed blade. It's going to be a, um, it's going to be uh, the wasp boss four blade like i've had the last several years or it's going to be a mechanical jackhammer that i've used to kill man lots of deer with over the years so uh it's going to be 125 or 100 grains more than likely um the the total arrow weight i'm shooting it was this year at 512 grains per or uh, 512 grains total arrow weight and the reason I like to go so high is because, number one, I, I don't want that, that question, right? Is my arrow heavy enough to shoot, to pass through a, a, a deer's shoulder blade or a, you know, if I go on an elk hunt, I want to make sure I have really good penetration on what, you know, on, on the, a big animal like an elk. Sorry, I had to cough there. But with with all that, right, I, I, I want to take questioning out of it. Now, what, what I've noticed over the years is when I made a jump to, um, let's say, total arrow weight of like 300 grains into the 400 uh, grain range, I noticed that my accuracy was improving, right? So there is a, there's a lot of information out there about underspining your arrows which means there's going to be more flex you know having an arrow that's underspined meaning there's going to be more flex in the arrow coming off your bow which means the efficiency of the delivery to the target is is going to be lost right because the arrow is flip flapping around in the air and it's not recovering quickly right so um heavier spined arrow have total arrow weight kind of gets gets the arrow to rebound faster from my understanding and you know i i like it so not only do i think a heavier arrow weight improves accuracy to a certain extent i want that penetrating power at longer distances like you know 40 yards or over it you know if i if i was in the elk woods or a mule deer hunt i would definitely be taking uh probably a 60 a 60 yard shot at maximum 
right? I don't think I'd go over that, but I definitely want that penetrating power further down range um, for those big animals. But do you need it for a whitetail? And for me, probably not. Uh, I choose it. I by default, I guess you could say I hunt with a heavier arrow because I'm I'm hunting out west. So it's just I don't want to have to buy more gear for a different setup. So I I have a one setup. It's a heavier arrow, and uh, that's I guess that's my reasoning behind having a heavier grain arrow. By all means, I am not the expert on this in this field. Um, I have made that decision based off information that I've heard from other people. Uh, you know, not necessarily a huge FOC freak, but more of a total arrow weight guy. I know that, uh, let's see, my, my broadhead this year weighed 100 grains. My insert, uh, I have a, I shoot the day six with the uh, insert, the, I guess it's not an insert, it's an outsert on the front end that the broadhead screws into. And I was shooting some pretty big uh, arrows. Now, on to question number two, and this is coming from Logan Thomas, right? And this is something that I think that we've uh, all been through at some point or another. All right, and his question is, it's kind of a statement, but there's a question in, in there. When I finally get an opportunity on the deer that I'd like to shoot, I get panicked. When I pull back, I feel rushed, almost blurry vision. How do you overcome that? All right, so... I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about uh, buck fever or target panic, but there's a lot of information on that, um, you know, on that uh, topic online. I'm not the expert on it. I think everybody should really go. Um, I definitely think that the more you practice, the more you practice shooting a bow, it becomes muscle memory, right? We talk about this a lot, muscle memory, just repetitive action. So you almost go into autopilot when you hit this, you know, when you hit this um, uh, point where, okay, the deer comes in, you draw back, you set your anchor points and you release. Uh, sometimes, you know, people talk about a back tension release helping with target panic. One thing about buck fever, right? There is this saying um, in the sports world that is act like you've been there before. And the only way you can act like you've been there before is if you've actually been there before. And I used to have this problem when I was uh, a little younger and I feel I still get I still get excited and jacked up when I see a big deer come through. But I feel like I'm able to control myself a little better because over the years I have had encounters w with shooting or shooter deer before or what I would consider shooters and that that's different from every state to state if you are a a guy who is hunting in a state and you've in wherever you're hunting really and you've identified a deer that you want to shoot that deer shows up and you start to get jacked up about it right um every year for me that i've had encounters with these mature big deer that i have history with and i think for more than anything it's history right if you look can look at a deer within a glance and you're like oh my god that's a giant i've been i've been wanting to shoot that buck for four years all this excitement comes right and it's just you know it's the deer you may be a good archer 
but there's other uh, there's other things at play here that you can't necessarily control your adrenaline and you know obviously practice makes perfect and maybe shooting a back tension release may help target panic and just going through all that thing but experience has a lot to do with that too for me uh, and I hope this doesn't come off as arrogant, but I've had my fair share of encounters with really big deer over the years. And every time I have an encounter with a big deer, I get jacked up, but I am able to now start controlling that because I've had those encounters with big deer that, that crazy level where you're just going, you know, your heart's going hearts going bananas and you don't like you don't really know how to control it over the years that you still get that heartbeat but you're able to control yourself in certain situations and for example this year i i identified this buck uh my buck was a shooter when he came into range i it happened fast so i didn't necessarily have the time to get all jacked up because I didn't, I didn't recognize this deer. I identified that he was a shooter based off his body size and his age class. And then I picked up my bow, drew back and shot him. It happened that fast. And I didn't really have the time to get nervous, but I also have had encounters with deer that size or bigger over the years, which has now led me to be able to control myself, know what I need to do, go through a checklist in my in my head and when when you do this checklist right just like the muscle memory when you're shooting your bow the checklist mentally throughout the years grab my bow locate the deer draw back get get anchored put it on the vitals shoot right you your brain starts to take over for me and you know just I hate to say autopilot because autopilot makes it seem like I'm not making conscious conscious decisions when I am making those decisions however I really I really think that uh, the more experience you have with a caliber of deer that you want to shoot makes you a better hunter whether that's a success or a failure you're able to you know what to do in those certain situations so uh, a lot of that has to do with experience, and I think the rest of it has to do with uh, just practicing shooting your bow. Uh, so there's that one. All right. Next uh, question, and I, I know I've had this guy on the ep, uh, on the podcast before, and I'm going to mutilate his last name. Uh, Kremer, Billy Kremer. It says here, will you be doing any public land at deer hunting this upcoming season? And the question the answer to that question is yes right the other day i bought my mule day my mule deer tag for south dakota and i'll be going on another south dakota mule deer hunt that's on public ground out in south dakota huge big chunk of public ground we're going to be camping on that and having a, a really fun old time out there again just like we did last year man i absolutely love that style of it's almost like plains hunting with some terrain where they come off the fields they drop down into the terrain and you're sitting a mile away with a spotting scope i love that style of hunting uh, and then or even before that this year i have been I've made the decision through peer pressure to go and hunt Michigan. And when I go and hunt Michigan, I will also be hunting on public property up there or 
yeah, public ground up there, um, state ground, federal ground, whatever is in this area. I've already been doing my research up there. So yes, the answer is that. And even here in Iowa, closer to home, I have a private farm, but there is really good access from this, this farm that I have, this private farm that leads into this awesome bedding it's like a a bedding staging area before it comes up into some more thick bedding up eventually up into a cornfield or a, an egg field and that's on public ground as well so i access this public through walking on a private fence line basically and man over I haven't really seen any giants there yet just because I don't hunt it a lot, but trail camera data and uh, sign tells me there's some good deer. And I found some crazy sheds on these on these private ag fields, which tells me that there's good deer in the area. So I'm going to be paying a lot more attention to that particular piece of uh, public ground this year just because i don't know what's going to happen with uh you know the the amount of time i'm going to get to hunt the rut uh, down on my main farm uh this year especially you know with the kids in school my wife working full time again so yes i will be hunting public ground this year all right i like questions like this adam carter says it's november 7th with trail and you have trail cam pictures of a shooter in daylight it's your number one buck if you had to forget one piece of gear at the truck and not go back for it what would it be it's a great question i love the hypotheticals probably my rattling antlers right if i have a deer that i have on trail camera and it's the middle of the rut and he's showing up on camera in a specific time after I check it, I am probably going to leave my rattling antlers back at the truck. Um, I would say all calls, but I feel like from a strategy standpoint or a calling standpoint, if this this uh, this buck comes through a trail and he's just out of shooting range, I would be able to turn him back around with a simple grunt. Rattling antlers at that point, I feel are useless because I don't want to, I don't want to, mess anything up by rattling and I don't want to be tempted with rattling so there's actually times when I don't even take my rattling antlers into the tree with me if I know I have a trail camera data telling me that there is a uh, I guess a deer coming in and out of a particular piece of property that I'm hunting so so if I'm going to leave something at my truck, it is definitely going to be my rattling antlers. I love rattling, by the way. Like, I really love blind calling. And I've had to teach myself over the years that you need to just stop it. And one way to stop it is leave your rattling antlers in the truck. Just leave them in the truck. And uh, I don't know, man. I The, the more... I hunt the less I call uh, straight up like this past year I hardly I bet you there was two days that I rattled and every time I rattled I rattled in young deer and for me it's again not trying to sound cocky I'm not looking for young deer right we all have different goals and I'm not looking for a two-year-old you know I'm not looking to rattle in a two-year-old right so and the more experience that I have, this is kind of going off down a rabbit hole, but big mature bucks 
don't typically respond to to calls, right? They already have it in their mind what they're doing. I have I have yet to rattle in. Uh, a, I guess I I should say, uh, 2016. I rattled in a, a four year old that I shot, and I, I think he was in his bed when I rattled, and he stood up out of it. So he was close. I was betting really close to him, or he was betting really close to me, and that got his attention. It got him up, and it it brought him in to investigate. But it's not like I saw a, you know a, a shooter buck walking in the distance i rattled him and it changed his course however a grunt a a grunt i feel has more of an impact and a lot of this has to do with the scenario right what's this buck's body language doing what's the scenario is he chasing a a deer is he showing signs of a, a aggression is he calm is he feeding is he whatever there's you know a million different scenarios and that would lead me to determine what call I would need to use right but if he's within walking distance maybe he's a, tra- uh, a trail or two away from me and I know he's within he's outside of my shooting range simple grunt get him back in and uh you know you don't if a deer is closed you don't want to blow him out by just scaring the shit out of him with a big bang or a rattling sequence too. So, uh, from a temptation standpoint and from, uh, I guess a functionality standpoint, I am leaving my rattling antlers in the truck. All right. Benjamin Murray, what is your favorite type of interview? I like this question. What is your favorite type of interview talking with well-known people versus average Joe's, uh, companies and products. And then, uh, there's a second part of that question. I'll, I'll talk about when I get done answering this first part. All right. So what is your favorite type of hunting interview? And I think a lot of you guys know, because it is what content I actually put out. Yes. I talk with some quote unquote, well-known people or hunting personalities every once in a while, but I'll be honest with you. When I talk to those people, they pretty much tell me the same thing. They're telling me the same thing, and I necessarily I can't relate to that. So I like talking with average Joes who are honestly just as successful as some of these personalities are, which, <laughs> again, going off into a rabbit hole, man, if you're good enough to play in the NBA, it is because you have a talent to play basketball. But... When it comes to hunting, right, a lot of it has to do with property and access to specific parts of ground. Uh, even even me, right? My chances, let's say me versus a guy who is the same as me hunting in a different state, right? Let's say Michigan or Pennsylvania versus Iowa. I know for a fact that I could, one of you guys listening could come to Iowa and have the exact same success that I am hunting in, you know, hunting in Iowa just because of the age class of deer. You're not doing anything different than me. It's just one of the variables is age class and big antlers, right? And a lot of people determine success based off of big antlers, which is bullshit in my opinion. Right. And uh, I could go to, let's say, Michigan. Now, I wouldn't shoot the same caliber of deer in Michigan or Pennsylvania because there's not the same caliber of deer in uh, Pennsylvania or Michigan. So I really like 
talking with guys who are just like me. Now, I necessarily don't have a desk job or a full-time job anymore. This is my full-time job, but I like talking to the guys who they're grinders, right? They, their passion is the outdoors, right? Which I feel like some of the, some of the personalities they've taken that away, like they've taken away showing the hard work that goes into managing their properties or, um, you know, it's all about the shot, right? It's the money shot. If we were watching porno, it would just be, it'd just be the money shot at the end. That's all they care about. Right. When there's a process, there's a chess game, there's all these things that don't necessarily get shown with the content that these, I guess, most more well-known hunters are putting out. So, I love interviewing average Joes who have found success. Maybe it's one time they found success, but or or several times that that they found success. So the mo- the guys who are not well known, they they have a story to tell, and that story relates to my story. I feel so. I like interviewing guys who I can relate to. Right? Oh man, I you know I had the perfect night, but guess what? It was. It was October 31st and, you know, I couldn't go out and hunt because I had to take the kids trick-or-treating. So I had to wait a week until the wind was back to where I wanted it. I went in and I shot him as opposed to, uh, yeah, dude, here's the same story that the other guy told me. We were in a box blind and we waited over a 40 acre food plot for him to come out. Like, I don't know, man. That's just, uh, that's a rabbit hole that I don't want to go down this time, but long story short, and I'm repeating myself. I really like talking with average Joes, uh, who get the job done on a regular basis. Sometimes, um, the, you know, I really don't care if it's public or private, whether the story is public or private, obviously, uh, public ground is a really big buzzword at, at this point in the, in the the outdoor sp- in the hunting space, you know, like, and there is a, a guy or a, a gal who can get it done on public ground. It makes the story that much better. I really don't care. I just like good stories. And I, and I like it when uh, I see a regular guy succeed. And, and that story I feel has a little bit heavier weight when it comes to me sharing it with you guys, because I feel that not only I like hearing stories like that, but we can all learn, take something away from these stories and these hunts. And that's why, again, I like uh, talking with, uh, I guess more of the average Joes. And this is strange to me, right? And I think this has a lot to do with who my demographic is, who listens to this podcast from a, from a, a an analytic standpoint. If I had a, a hunting celebrity on or a uh, someone who's more well-known on, it actually performs less than if I have an average Joe on, which is crazy. And I, that, that's, that's one reason that I don't have a lot of those, those uh, celebrity types on this podcast is because, uh, one, I can't relate to it. Two, they honestly don't perform as well. So... There's that. Now, the second part of his question is favorite YouTube channels to watch. Like what what kind of content do I consume? Uh, what kind of podcast do I consume? This is crazy because I don't typically unless there is I don't follow any particular podcast to a T and listen to every single episode. I'm more of 
a a guy who I pick and I choose what kind of topics. So if I see a, you know, a topic on something that I want to do, I'll listen to it or something that I can relate to or whatever gear. Right. Um, I, uh, I guess I follow a YouTube. I don't follow any particular YouTube channels. Let's say the other day I was uh, on a mule deer kick because I just had purchased my mule deer tag and I wanted to go watch some mule deer hunting. So I went and I typed in high country mule deer or, you know, archery mule deer hunts. And that's exactly what I watched. So if it's the rut and I have the time to consume some content, I'm going to look for, you know, whitetail rut hunts. And there's so much of, there, there is so much great content out there, uh, on YouTube being produced by, I guess you would call them average Joes or nobodies that I don't even watch the outdoor channel anymore or the, uh, what's the other one, the outdoor channel, sportsman's channel, pursuit channel. I don't want, I don't even, I don't even watch them anymore because I can't, again, I can't, it's, I can't relate to that content at all. So what do I do? I go to YouTube, find something that I can relate to, find something that I, uh, that I could do or I do or bucket list hunts. Yes. I love watching bucket list hunts like a moose hunt or a float, a float hunt down the Yukon river for moose or, um, a caribou hunt or something like that. I love the back country hunting experience, adventure, bow hunting type of, of hunts. So that's what I watch on YouTube. And then I guess there's a part of this question I missed, uh, in regards to talking about products or gear. I love, I'm, I'm, I'm not a deer nut from the point where I don't necessarily know a lot about, uh, gear and products, which is one of the reasons why I like talking about it just from a learning standpoint. And I really like, uh, I like it so much that that is why I started the hunting gear podcast. So I could have a, a podcast that is 100%, I guess it's 100% focused on hunting gear and equipment. So that's why I, you know, that's why I started that podcast. So I guess hopefully that answered your question, Benjamin Murray. Matt Farley, thoughts on hunting Africa. And I've talked about this before. Uh, do you think that would ruin your reputation as a conservationist? I don't know. I don't know about ruining my reputation as a conservationist. I wouldn't even say that I'm, I don't know. I wouldn't even say that I'm necessarily a conservationist quite yet. It's something that I strive to be. I don't think I'm there yet, but, um, hunting Africa is a very interesting question because I think some, at some point in time in my life, I definitely want to experience Africa. And I feel when it comes to Africa, hunting plays an absolutely huge part in their conservation efforts. Because I, uh, from what my understanding is, and talking from a, uh, a guy from South Africa recently, he told me that if it wasn't for hunting uh, and the conservation efforts, and yes, there's a lot of high, high fences in this area, these animals would literally just have they would have no value and when something doesn't have a value then the people of an area don't care about it so they'll get shot 
they'll get poached they'll you know they'll be over hunted for meat they will uh, be let's say like an elephant and poach just for a specific part of their body and nothing you know nothing good comes from it so you know the, the whole conservation idea behind africa in America, I think there's two, it's basically two different models, uh, a little bit, it's a little bit the same, but it's a little bit different. You know, again, I'm not the expert in this, so I'm not going to go too far down that, but there are so many animals in North America that I want to hunt and kill. Right. So right now, other than Turkey and whitetail, I've never killed another species. So that's why, you know, mule deer is on the top of my list. Elk is on the top of my list. Caribou, moose, antelope. Um, I don't know if I I have enough time or patience to hunt some of these sh- sheep species unless um, you know all of a sudden I get rich and can start throwing money at uh, you know a goat hunt or a sheep hunt. But I really think that uh, um, there's so many animals in North America that I have yet to hunt and fish that I just don't feel like going to africa to chase that game when i have so much game here to chase that i haven't had any experiences with yet now let's say in the next 10 years i harvest an elk i harvest a mule deer i harvest an antelope and i get into some of these big bucket list hunts like caribou or moose and i'm successful on all of these you know all of these hunts then maybe i might change my attention over to africa and take uh you know take a shot at some of these animals and uh, find something that you know I, I want to do I've, I've heard from people who have gone and hunted Africa that it's they, they've they've never I haven't talked to one guy who's hunted Africa that's come back and he's been like yeah man it's uh it's not worth it everybody that I've talked to was really excited about it they've had an absolute blast doing it and just from a culture standpoint and a, I guess, a new experiences standpoint, it's worth it in the long run. And you get to go hunt animals there as well that, you, that yeah, may be found in Texas, but are native to, uh, native to Africa. So that's my thoughts on Africa. All right, where are we at here? Last question. I think this is the last question. Drew Harney. I believe it is. What are your thoughts on mailing letters to get hunting permission? I've always felt weird showing up unannounced. That's a, that's a unique way to look at this, right? I guess I am under the belief that in person is always better in my, in my personal opinion. I think that mailing a letter initially it's not like an email, right? Where they could respond to you or a text message where they could respond to you other than having your address, your telephone number that you, all the contact information that you put in the letter. Um, I think there's just a point there where you, you have to introduce yourself to them. They have to get a look at you. They have to meet you and uh, feel comfortable around you in order to hopefully get permission to hunt their property. I am a 100% knock on doors, uh, knock on doors, guys in person type, uh, of a hunter. And I would, uh, I would, if I was you, or if I was anybody who's thinking about trying to gain permission on private property, 
is to go knock on a door and just straight up introduce yourself. These people are going to, they already have their decision made whether you do or you don't knock on their door, right? In my opinion, most of the time, and especially when I moved to my new home, uh, you know, what was it? Seven years ago, the house that I live in now, there was two days straight. Uh, one weekend before my daughter was born, I knocked on doors all summer long to try to gain access to private farms. And all of these, for I think it was 22 different properties, I, I spoke to 22 different people over a two-day period. And they each one of them told me no, and each one of them told me that they hunted it or they had family or friends that hunted that property or it was leased out. And uh, so it's you have to... When, when it comes to trying to gain access to permission, uh, access private ground by knocking on doors and just basically getting permission, you have to be com- comfortable with rejection. And, you know, going uh, to college as a male, I definitely got rejected a lot. And so I was comfortable. I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Right. So um, you have to get used to hearing the word no. And then just like being comfortable around big mature bucks, you're going to be comfortable around hearing no, which may lead you to eventually have a rebuttal, right? You, if you and learn on what questions that you need to ask in this process, like if I just showed up to a door and I said, Hey, uh, my name's Dan. I'm curious if, uh, you let anybody hunt your property. Yeah, we already got guys hunt your property. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Well, I see an opportunity there, right? They say, no, we already have other people hunt your property. Well, are you looking for gun hunting permission? Are you looking for shed hunting permission? Are you looking for bow hunting permission? The, the back in the day before, you know, Iowa was the spot to be for, for deer hunting. My success rate was very high because I would, I would go into a scenario like this, knock on the door, Hi, my name's Dan. Um, and instead of, and this is, this is called learning from failure. You knock on the door, they answer. And I just straight up lead with, um, bow hunting, right? Do you have anybody who bow hunts your property? Well, I got some guys who shotgun it, shotgun hunt it, but nobody come to think of it. I don't think anybody bow hunts it. Well, if I stay out of your way and if I, you know, stay out of the shotgun hunters way. Do you think it would be possible for me to bow hunt your property? More people said yes to bow hunting than gun hunting. So I got permission to bow hunting, right? All right. So maybe bow hunting doesn't work and bow hunting. They say, yeah, I got a guy who bow hunts it, right? Well, how often does he bow hunt it? Uh, is he, does he hunt here a lot? Yeah. He's, he takes his vacation and he comes and hunts my property. Okay. Well, all right, good to go. Maybe that's not the property you want to hunt. However, if it's a good piece of property and you really want to hunt it, maybe you need to find a way to get more comfortable around this landowner. Well, um, just out of curiosity, do you mind if I shed hunt it? You know, I don't see a problem of you shed hunting it. You shed hunt it three or four years in a row. Maybe you get your foot in the door with turkey hunting. Uh, Turkey hunting leads to, uh, you know, you know, the shed hunting leads to turkey hunting. Now you're there, you're out there more. You're more comfortable around the landowner. He's more comfortable around you. You build this relationship. And now the relationship uh, has grown to the point where you're like, hey, man, 
Um, you know, I'm out here talking with you a lot. I know that there's another guy out here on this property. If I stay out of his way, uh, do you think that I could, I could potentially bow hunt it? Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't, I guess if, if you guys don't hunt over top of each other and there's no, there's no problems, I don't see a reason why you can't have enough property, you know, or whether it, you know, I just use an example on a, a bigger chunk where, you know, it might be able to fit another hunter in, but you know, that is, that's kind of how I, I work it. Right. I, I do my research. I know how many acres that they own before I go and talk to them. I talk about, um, you know, so I can give specifics, right? If they own three or four different farms in the area, I can be specific when I ask him, Hey, do you mind if I go and hunt the, um, the piece of property you have on, uh, old main road, uh, over by the Creek and on the East side of it? Uh, you know, I got a guy who hunts that. Okay. Well, what about, uh, this farm over here? Well, you know, come to think of it. I don't know if I have anybody who hunts that. Yeah. Feel free to go hunt that. Right. And just being having a lot of information going into some of these con, uh, conversations can really help you. Um, I guess the more details you have, the easier it is for them to make a decision and come to like, I'll be honest. I've, I've asked, I asked permission on a farm for man. I want to say, I forget how many years in a row it was. I think it was five and I got permission on the sixth year right so the first first year i came i talked to him um i got some information about him he said nope i got f- uh, friends and family who hunt it uh we bow hunt it we shotgun hunt it we shed hunt it all these things okay cool saw him outside i wasn't gonna stop on year two but i saw him outside so i stopped and we started bullshitting over something that wasn't hunting related i said you know we, we started talking about collegiate wrestling and he was a big college wrestling guy and I said to him, uh, you, Hey, I, th- I was going to ask you if I could hunt your property, but I already know the answer. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if you see me outside, come and talk to me again. Well, now that's kind of an opening, right? So year three, I stopped back at his house. He's in his machine shed. And I asked him if I could turkey hunt his property. Now I got a, one of my cousins is coming down this year. He's going to turkey hunt it. So you know, whatever. I said, all right, man. Well, um, we shared a, we actually shared a beer on that 30 year. He's like, Hey man, you want a beer? I was like, yeah, sure. I'll take a beer. Uh, you know, bullshit a little bit. Next thing you know, it's year four driving back out there. And this time, this time I, I was going directly to ask him again because I, and he's in his machine shed. I pull into the driveway and he's like, it's you again, man. How you been? And now we're, now we've created this almost friendship this relationship where he knows who I am. I know who he is. He knows why I'm out there. And, uh, you know, we just started bullshitting again. And I said, Hey man, um, I was just out of curiosity looking for sheds. No, I got a guy doing that again. And, uh, I, and I think it was more of a joke when I asked it this time, I think I said, I want to ask you a question, but I think I know the answer to it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got people. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely no problem, man. All right. Well, if I see you out again, I'll definitely stop by and say hi. He's like, you do that, man. Year number six, right? Year number six comes up and I wasn't going to stop. And I see him out there on his tractor and I pull in, say hi. And I don't even know how, how it really happened, but he's like, Hey man, 
just wanted to let you know these uh, other guys told me they weren't going to hunt this property anymore uh you if you still want to bow hunt it you can bingo it took it took six years but at the time when i had access to this farm it was a money farm it bordered the right properties it was river bottom ground tons of bedding good food good travel corridor good terrain and there was really good deer on this farm so it took me six years to get it finally got it i only had that farm for a couple years before the uh, i believe the guy ended up selling it and moving to a different state but that's that's what i'm talking about it takes time it it takes relationships to because i don't know about you just imagine a stranger coming out of the woodwork asking to come into your home and for a property owner it's kind of the same thing so i guess really think about really think about it from that aspect right it's like these people own property how how are you going to convince them to trust you enough to come on to the property and possibly do what they're doing on it right um just i guess one more thing to kind of think about when we uh when when you go into knocking on uh uh ask permission on on private ground so that was the last question i I like i kind of like doing these because it allows me to purge some thoughts and ideas on what i'm trying to accomplish on uh, some of these episodes but thank you for everybody who responded there was a lot of you and i didn't have time to um i guess answer every single question but the reason i didn't answer specific questions because that means within the last four five six months i've talked about that specifically on a podcast so if your question didn't get answered all you have to do is go to the sportsman's nation website and basically search what podcast that you want to listen to and i'm telling you right now or what your question was or the topic of that question and you're going to be able to find something whether it's from myself or somebody else covering it right so um go do that make sure you guys are following along on social media make sure you're subscribed to the nine finger chronicles podcast while i'm talking here i want to let everybody know that all of the podcasts on the sportsman's nation podcast network are standalone feeds or on the the sportsman's nation uh, feeds as well right so if you just want to listen to the nine finger chronicles podcast go to itunes search nine finger chronicles find the standalone feed and subscribe to that if you like all of the content that is coming through the sportsman's nation subscribe to the sportsman's nation whitetail feed or the sportsman's nation big game feed that is that'll tell you right there what um you know that should cover everything so every podcast has a standalone feed on the network and it has the network feed which has everything in it so um there's that subscribe follow uh if you have any questions or want to find out more information about uh the the network hit me up with a dm right if there's a a, a product that you want covered on the uh, uh, i'm having a brain fart right now because i can hear my son outside of my office want trying to get in but <laughs> we are if you want to talk about a product then you need to hit me up through instagram or facebook and talk a little bit about uh 
products for the the hunting gear podcast that's what i'm trying to say make sure you guys are following along on the sportsman's nation youtube channel i'm putting out a lot of what i feel is detailed content about terrain some of my favorite stand locations i'm calling it whiteboard whitetails and um i think that's it i'm gonna close her out here because i can hear kids creeping up the stairs hopefully everybody has a good rest of your day huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast prime archery vortex optics lone wolf tree stands the average conservationist ozonics and wasp please go out and support the companies that support this podcast thank you very much have a good day 2020 is about giving back and wash your damn hands